Britain has left the EU, but have we found our way? To discuss this, uh, I'm joined by Patrick O'Flynn, a former European parliamentarian and journalist. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you. Now then, uh, what we have is record immigration, mm. a massive trade deficit and no growth. So the first question is, uh, has the Tory Brexit failed? Um, well, I'm very tempted to say yes, but the truth is um, Brexit, the meaningful side of Brexit, only happened two years ago when the transition period came mm. to an end and we left the rules and regulations of the European Union, I think mm. December the 31st, uh, 2020. Uh, and, you know, during that period, and we formally left, obviously, on January the 31st, 2020, mm. so that's coming up to three years. Mm. Uh, the whole period since then has been taken up with by far the biggest deadly yeah. pandemic in our lifetimes with kind of huge, huge sweeping impacts on society and on the economy. Uh, and then, you know, the, the day after, I think it was, the government declared COVID in this country is no longer mm. a pandemic and, and we'll live with it. Mm. Um, Vladimir Putin's tanks rolled into Ukraine, right? So, and, and that was another 100 billion plus uh, hit to the public finances already. So um, I think it's premature <laughs> to, to, to say whether Brexit has succeeded or, or failed. I think it's certainly true uh, that the early wins, if you were looking for evidence of the, either the Tories having early wins or knowing where they're going with it, uh, that there's scant evidence. But I think we already know the Conservatives didn't have a coherent uh, kind of Brexit idea. Yeah. It was something they were bullied into uh, by parties like UKIP and latterly the Brexit Party. Um, and they haven't really known what to do with it. There was one story, I should say, the, the other day of uh, BioNTech signing some big new cancer research deal, uh, which is going to be based in the UK, and they cited our exceptionally agile uh, medicines regulator, which I guess you could see as a specific uh, Brexit win. It, I, I totally agree with you, it's, it's, it is too early to say, and certainly the Brexit vision that we had uh, on the sort of left-leaning side, uh, we're nowhere near with that. Mm. Um, and I, t I also concede totally that you know, the whole thing has been distorted by the pandemic and, and now the energy crisis which was caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But what I was really getting at was what you mentioned was, did they have a coherent version, vision, the Tories? Uh, no, well, you've got to remember two-thirds of Tory MPs wanted to remain and it took years of really piling the pressure on David Cameron to get the, um, the yeah. pledge for a referendum in the first place. And it, it was the most shocking political outcome to the entire Westminster class, not just mm. the Conservatives. So they didn't really have um, uh, a vision. You could argue uh, to what extent um, the act of leaving the European Union kind of necessitates a, a, a political program as such. Mm. I mean, to me, the biggest thing is getting democratic accountability back, mm. right? Mm. Uh, so we can hold our politicians accountable for more of the big things that dominate mm. uh, general uh, elections. Now, within that, mm. from my point of view, I think from most SDP members' points of view, mm. uh, the obvious kind of massive issue uh, is the rate of immigration into yeah. the UK uh, and how that 
leaving, you know, coming out of the duty of free movement, uh, you would have thought a party that had thought about Brexit and had thought about the impact on working class wages of untrammeled Eastern European low wage economy migration inwards, that they would have had a programme to bring down immigration. But all that's happened, obviously, is uh, EU immigration. Well, we found there were millions more EU citizens than we thought here anyway, and it may have plateaued or slightly tailed off. But there's been a deliberate parallel policy of rapidly increasing uh, immigration from other parts of the world, as well as a simultaneous loss of control of the asylum system and spike in illegal immigration. So to me, all those things are uh, thwarting uh, the potential of Brexit, but they're more or less deliberate uh, by the Conservatives. Yeah, it's just very interesting because the, you're quite right. We ought to remember, we must remember that the Tories didn't want this. No major party wanted it. The DUP wanted it, I think. Mm. Uh, but no major party wanted it. And the only thing, I'm making a point really, that the only uh, vision that you ever heard during the campaign and, and post the campaign was this sort of Singapore on terms unilateral free trade type vision. I think mm. the, the problem is that the Tories, the parliamentary side of the Tories is dominated by free trade liberals that believe this stuff without realising that this just undermines our industrial base, it you know, guts your wealth slowly by liquidating assets to pay for your trade imbalance. Mm. And unless you can face, I mean, and also there was never any point, I think, in, in being, stopping being governed by technocrats in Brussels and giving those technocrats in the WTO the same sort of control mm. seems to be totally pointless mm. so I think they though that type of thinking has been mugged by reality and then I'm still optimistic actually I think the only hope for us is divergence from EU regulation which as you say in biotech or in data could mm. actually bring serious yields um, but they're sort of slow learners but perforce reality means you, you might end up with an industrial policy and heaven forfend you might end up with some trade friction what do you think of that yeah well I, I for instance um, a lot was made um, by those kind of ultra free trader Douglas Carswell type Brexiteers mm, yeah. Dan Hannan types about uh, getting a free trade deal with the United States, which is now not on the agenda, neither is it on the agenda for the EU. But, you know, our trade with the US is, is pretty good. I think we're usually modestly in surplus. Uh, they're our biggest single country trading partner. Taking, you know, the last little bits and bobs of friction out, uh, if the expense is, you know, uh, getting sort of dumped by US goods with massive economies of scale, uh, you know, unfairly, uh, in knocking back our own economic activity levels, then, you know, that's not much of a prize. Uh, you obviously have someone like Liz Truss who made a name by signing all these deals, mainly rollover deals, but the, the deals that she did do, such as with Australia, all the whispers are that they actually, they actually she didn't negotiate very effectively and she rolled over far too uh, easily. So I don't particularly see the kind of f free trade thing as, as bringing us any sort of economic miracle whatsoever. But it has to be, if, well you can, you can do it, I'm, I'm all in favour of bilateral trade deals but they have to be tailored and they have to be focused, you have to know mm. what you're doing and the mm. problem with both of the deals you mentioned which are, are on trust really, uh, Australia and Japan, if you take Australia first, in, a, in the long run, and it's a long distance run this, uh, we won't have any sheep farming. Right, mm. that's just a given. That. And mm. they say, all the Australians will say, well, we, all the sheep go to China, whatever. Well, a lot do, but mm. you won't have any free trade environment, you won't have any. And they'll beat us on a lot of other mm. um, 
Australian, uh, you know, on agriculture generally. The Japan deal was modelled to widen the already quite substantial bilateral trade gap with uh, Japan through the years massively. I mean, mm. it's just going to. I mean, as I sort of joked at one point, you sell them some whiskey and some biscuits, and they sell you a lot of industrial products, which are much mm. more expensive. These are very unwise. But so I'm, I'm sort of grasping at straws. If I mean, we're likely to get a change of government, aren't we? So if, if we're going to get a sensible uh, Brexit vision, which actually re-plums a little bit, gets the macro mm. right, and re-plums uh, the, the pipe work, who's going to do it? Well. You know, I still don't get this uh, feeling that Keir Starmer is going to sweep in with a big majority. We could easily have uh, a Labour-led coalition with, you know, other even more anti-Brexit um, parties. Mm. Uh, actually, one thing I should add as well is that the, the, the downfall of trust, one thing it, it did kind of get us out of, uh, was this, this early at any cost free trade deal with India, which seems to have effective free movement with like 900 Insane. people uh, <laughs> attached to it. And Kemi Badenot was under massive pressure to get it done by Diwali. So, you know, at least we're out of that. But can Keir Starmer, I, I couldn't tell you what Keir Starmer's sincere agenda is on almost anything. Um, I think they've been. He's done a weekend interview with Sophie Ridge on Sky, in which yeah. she sort of flagged up various things he had said, and now stands for diametric opposite and free movement, of course. which he was going to protect. And now he says it's a red line and it mustn't come back. So you know he is slippier, slippier than the proverbial bar of soap in the bath. I have literally no idea. We'll find out what what his economic agenda is with trade friction, with trying to tweak the Boris uh, Brexit deal, you know, it could be anything. In a way, it's, it's it, the most horrifying prospect is that he may not have an idea. I mean, I've never mm. thought he was very strong on economics anyway, actually, so mm. I'm not actually sure what his view is. Uh, but certainly you're right. I mean, he's mm. the anything he said to become Labour leader, he has uh, dispensed with, he's ditched mm. really rapidly. I, I'm just disappointed. Some of the agenda on utilities and railways and so on, I've mm. supported. Uh, but you know that, that you, so you, yeah, you're completely in the dark. Just to to, to finish on the on the Tory question there before we move on. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, John, you've you've had three prime ministers the last four years. You've had, uh, last year you've had four chancellors, and and the and the and the Johnson, despite his obvious political abilities, is uh, ended up in flames. Mm. A question that I've pondered a lot is that. Wasn't it always going to be impossible for Johnson to uh, to sort of reconcile the the Brexit coalition that he convened? Wasn't that coalition always unstable and, and uh, wasn't it always going to blow up? I think probably yes, because as as, as you said, the the dominant within the Conservative Parliamentary Party, this kind of free trader, Carswellite, Hananite strand mm. is dominant and the so-called liberal Tories mm. who didn't want Brexit coming round to it had tend to lean in into that mm. rather than a more sort of socially culturally conservative mm. uh, strand which is represented I suppose now by the red wall MPs yeah. the, the guys who won you know 40 odd seats uh, in previous Labour working but they're class strongholds, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so there are a few keepers of, of that flame there. Um, but you're right; their their 
voters are wanting you know much stricter immigration controls they're not zealots on free trade at all they would balance you know any advantages as consumers against disadvantages uh, as workers and have a completely different kind of set of political ideas branching away from Brexit too. So um, yeah, the Conservative Party seems, I mean, it's never been ideologically pure, has it? It's tended to always rate finding a way to win. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's been embarrassed in the last five or six years by the number of different iterations all of which have been responses to uh, kind of political crisis, electoral crisis, what should we do next? Yeah. We'll throw X overboard, we'll get Y in, we'll turn on a sixpence. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they, they are incoherent. I think, personally, there's a massive constituency out there for mm. a socially conservative party with the economic uh, implications of that, mm. and they're not a reliable source of delivery for that. I think you're right. I think the, the, the Tories' biggest problem is that most of them don't actually believe in much. Mm. And so, you, you know, Nick Timothy's uh, discussed this a sort of lack of, or Ed West has as well, lack mm. of um, ideology at all. Mm. My problem is that when you do find ideology in the Tory party, it's the wrong ideology. Mm. <laughs> it's the wrong one. It's, 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 it's a slightly outdated uh, free trade idea and, and, and you say you just you've got your industry and we're not bothered it doesn't matter you're completely you're always told it doesn't matter I think they've they've blown the red wall and I, I think they're going to get it back um, you know where and one thing that we should speak about is the is the protocol which has been a uh, Northern Ireland protocol which has been a problem from the very start and mm. I, my view of it Johnson blustered and said it didn't matter and he was in sort of denial about it but it was always a problem in mm. you know the and in a way, uh, Northern Ireland wanted two different things which might have been in incompatible as well. Mm. High alignment and freedom of movement of mm. goods and so on. Um, high alignment with the single market, but no friction between uh, uh, Britain and Northern Ireland. Where, where, I mean, there are, there are very recently uh, more optimistic notes on that. Where do you see that going? Well, for starters, I don't actually blame Boris Johnson for the Northern Ireland protocol situation. I view it... As, as the sort of gift of a treacherous parliament, the sort of uh, post-Brexit um, parliament, certainly after the 2017 election when Theresa May blew the Tory majority. Mm. But, you know, she began it by saying to the EU, we'll give you what you want first yes. in the yes. sequencing. And that included, you know, guarantees uh, as regards, uh, you know, um, no border on the island of Ireland mm. and to us taking all the responsibility which should have partly rested with them. So she mm. massively reduced our leverage mm. and then the, the rotten parliament uh, tried to box Boris Johnson when he came in into a corner and said it's literally illegal for you to mm. leave the European Union mm. without the say-so of the European Union, right? So, so uh, that all ended up with with uh, the price to pay, as I think one of the commissioners was mm. alleged to have said immediately after mm. Brexit, the price mm. to pay, pay for Brexit was Northern Ireland to an extent. I think that, you know, other people, Labour MPs, Lib Dem MPs, Tory, Wheat, Wills and Remainer MPs mm. are much more to blame for that than mm. is Boris Johnson. As to where we are now, we had Varadkar coming out and saying that we were too strict, you know, I, I think they, they did want to make an example of the UK to punish the others. Mm. Um, all I would say is that, that there is, isn't there, that, a sort of fairly long-term electoral escape route 
uh, from that, I think, was built into the agreement. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at the Northern Ireland kind of assembly election results, you know, it's by no means clear that the majority of the voters of Northern Ireland are kind of die-hard anti any version of a protocol and die-hard UK free trade at the expense of more friction with, with the EU. So, um, you know, I'm not an absolutist on that. Certainly Rishi Sunak, everything about Rishi Sunak tells you he'll want to do a deal, you know, and make it go away. I think it's, I'm a little bit more optimistic. I, I think, I mean, in a way I wasn't criticising, I'm perfectly happy to criticise Johnson. I have done many times on many things, but in this case, I think given what he was dealing with, which I thought actually was a lot of the thing he didn't mention much was was the bad faith on the point of the on the part of the EU. Mm. I mean, there was bad faith. A lot of Remainers, are, you know, uh, relished the difficulties you, we, we had there, Absolutely. and I think that the bad faith was in not admitting that there was a, a non-hard border solution to most of the regulation, mm. actually, and they never mm. wanted to admit that, mm. but there is, if you want to do it, you can. I always mm. say that. I think if you want to do something, often you can, and, and they yeah. just didn't want to. Let's hope it, it, it improves. I think Johnson's reaction was just a, a flat denial oh. reaction, uh, a bluster reaction to something you couldn't, couldn't, yes. swear, couldn't swear the circle. Um, so anyway, we, we'd, ha we'd have to hope that, uh, you know, that, that something happens uh, positively on that. Um, of late, there's been a lot of, um, it's very late, this is the last couple, few months, couple of months probably. Mm. Um, any problem we have, uh, it's attributed to Brexit. Yeah. Bad weather, yeah. <laughs> anything at all. Is it? So, you, you know, it's, 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 we, there was a backlash and then it's, and then it's subdued a little bit, but mm. you can just get this sort of uh, further backlash at anything else that happened. Evans mm. Pritchard in the, uh, Telegraph um, said that a lot of what is said about this is either untrue, exaggerated, or nothing to do with Brexit. And I think he's right. What do you make of the backlash? Have you observed it? Too? Yes, absolutely. There, there is a sort of smallish but incredibly influential section of the electorate at elite levels in fields like academia, uh, mm. you know, who won't give this up. Mm. Um, my first thought is it, it's kind of the, the mirror image of what people like me were doing in 2010 yeah. uh, and you know we could have been accused of, of blaming you know yes. almost anything on the, the European Union, you know, <laughs> toilets that wouldn't yeah. flush properly yeah. whatever it was yeah. there was always some e regulation um, to blame now obviously it would have been uh, better for the for the for the current kind of reputation of Brexit with the kind of average uh, voter uh, if we'd gone into an economic boom and there hadn't been COVID and there hadn't been the Ukraine invasion so you know no one can say the UK economy is is doing well so they've got something to kind of gnaw on and work with I think strategically the, re the rejoiners are making a massive mistake because it was a generational decision it's obviously preposterous uh, to try to try and turn it round and, and the project is to persuade the Labour Party and Keir Starmer either in good faith before the election or in bad faith soon after to begin a rejoin project right um, and I think the political risks in that for Starmer, and you need, by the way, a, a concrete proposition about rejoin and what the terms are. Mm -hmm. And in order to reach that with the EU, you would have to open high profile formal talks and be seen to be acting in the most appalling faith. Uh, I think politically that has disaster 
uh, written all over it. I think the people advising Starmer, they would, they would all love us to be back in the EU, clearly, but I think they, they won't do any, anything much uh, in the first term. It might be, you know, if things go swimmingly for a Labour government uh, uh, and the young people coming through don't lose their enthusiasm for the EU and gradually us old Brexiteers die off, then maybe they'll have a go in, in 10 years' time. But I've, I personally think it's, um, it's over-zealotry, it'll yeah. be seen as fanaticism, it will be ridiculed. I don't feel uh, that, that Brexit is on the brink by any means. No, I don't either. I think a lot, a lot of it's social media noise. And it's very interesting that if you take I mean, it's, it is literally, you know, cherry picking. It's, it's um, you know, uh, it's, it's looking at data, dredging for data mm. that suits your argument. I mean, the, if you look at, if you look dispassionately at post-Brexit, post-2016 data on yeah. economic growth on all the big economies, actually Britain's pretty much the same as every other. Yeah, uh, and no even European, though yeah. We, we definitely, there were, there were two reasons to think we, we would have grown more slowly in the first few years after Brexit. One is the extended uncertainty of the, of the political um, tug of war. And the second is the upfront costs of, of changing your trading arrangements yeah. with your, your biggest market. Uh, and it takes time then for any exporters who are affected by extra paperwork to find their second best markets. Uh, we've been through like, Some of all the pain and it's, yeah. it's hardly yeah. measurable. Well, actually, the, 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 you mentioned that. I mean, it, if you dig into the detail, this is why often if you know a little bit, even if you know a little bit mm. about something, it's quite often 180 degrees away from the, the mm. commentary. I mean, actually, the effect of more trade friction on our trade with the mm. EU was to... A, a British exporter had to get the paperwork right. They had to. Yeah. Right? De minimis, a lot of EU exporters to us said, well, we lose that bit. Not bother. So actually, the, the early... You know, 2020 and 21 before distorted by the pandemic and the rest of it, mm. and now the energy crisis. Actually, the fall in EU exports to us was higher. Yes, absolutely. It. So it's very interesting. Now it's actually distorted because of energy flows. So you don't, you don't actually know it. No. You really don't know yet. Uh, but it's yeah, they they won't give up. I I don't know. I think the um, I think it's a, becomes an an incredibly difficult political project when the price of EU membership is joining the EU, which it is in the in the, the euro, the euro yes. which it is in the treaty now. Yes. It becomes a very, very high bar for anyone to contemplate. Yes, I think so. And I, I do think that if we ever did get to another referendum in the next few years, mm. uh, that notional, very soft, slight opinion poll lead falls away mm. instantaneously when the electorate is focused on mm. these these practicalities. And I do think the status quo advantage, you know, which I always think that the the, the joiners of the EU yes. project, they yes. stole the status quo advantage by yes. taking us in yes. to the EEC without yeah. a referendum and then running the public choice element when they were in charge of the status quo. Well, they, they're not anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a mountainous task and I wish them kind of happiness and many decades of marches and <laughs> jumble sales and speeches and in village halls. Megaphones, yeah. You know, we've done that work on the other side. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the, the, also the other thing that you shouldn't underestimate is the, the passage of time. Uh, you're going to get a generation, unless it happens quickly, I don't think it can happen very mm. quickly, you get a generation of British kids that grow up with Britain having the state as an independent country mm. in Europe, and that's normal, right? It's, mm. it's not an, it's not unusual. It's not strange to mm. be in that situation. It's it's what we have. The other major thing that uh, all again is always lost on on this in this debate is is it, it implies t 
that there's something coherent you can join, right? And that, mm. unfortunately, that is not a given. I mean, it's mm. unfortunately, it's it's not clear at all that we won't. I mean, we could easily have another euro crisis, mm. uh, even this year. You mm. know, ten year, the ten year Italian uh, yields are, are mm. up again, four four percent plus quite volatile, they get a five, gets quite tricky. So mm. you have this sort of sense of perma-crisis. I'm with John Gray on this, I think he's right. I think it, I think it just lumbers on. The EU as an institution lumbers on through crises yes. because it's too. Do you agree with that? I think so. I think there's enormous political will on continental Europe to keep the show on the road. And, you know, we've seen the extent they were prepared to, yeah. to inflict misery on the populations of countries like Greece. Mm. Uh, in order to keep things um, trundling along. And, you know, our membership was based on opt-outs, wasn't it, as well? Yes. And, uh, you know, which was long grass kicking stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, the Euro, yeah. Schengen, social chapter, whatever. We, 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 you know, are we proposing, you know, or do the rejoiners, if they get to, to have a proposal, are they proposing to try and go back to, to that, which would be characterised as half in, half out anyway. So what's the point? Well, yeah, I mean, even, even the deal we had, which is, uh, you have to give credit to some of the people that negotiated, it was, it was a skillful series of opt-outs. People mm. like Major got out opt-outs for various mm. things, and, and uh, Ed Balls and Brown kept us out of the, the euro, and, and that's mm. a tick. But um, that was probably not sustainable long-term. I mean, I'm, I'm not even sure that was very stable. No, and we're looking at, you know, there's a deepening of the project, isn't there? There's, you know, the military identity, you know, there seems to be quite a few European leaders, you know, pushing much harder on that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't see it, but I would, I would certainly like uh, a coherent British government that, that has an idea of how to make Britain a success in the world. That's what I'm grasping for, Patrick. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking for a, a vision that actually is in correspondence with the realities. That's what I'm looking mm. for. That's what I'm trying to do with the SDP, mm. you know, trying to, what is, the, what is the only post, what is the only independent state in Europe uh, vision that, w that would work? And it's certainly not joining the TPP and it's certainly not having idiotic uh, bilateral trade deals with the United States that would just mm. go, no, it's actually much more focused on what we need and trying to build our, our own national resilience again. And I think everything that's happened, mm. the pandemic, what's happened post-Brexit proves that. What I'm, I don't see it, I don't see any of that vision in any established party. I mean, I see mm. it in us, but I don't see it. And I think mm. it has a broad constituency. Um, so it's good. I'm, I'm pleased that you're, that you, that you, you, despite the polls showing regret, mm. you know, and showing uh, we really, you know, there are polls, you can see polls that have over 50% of people regretting we left, mm -hmm. but it's a very, we're still in the early days actually. Um, just before we finish, one, one, one slightly uh, left field thing that we should talk about is Scotland. Where mm. it, it was always puzzling to me that, uh, that the SNP had this rather bizarre uh, proposal and preference for EU membership. You want to leave the European, you want to leave the British Union. Mm. And join the European Union and be fed. Where, where, where is that? Where, where do you think Sturgeon is with Scottish independence? It's on the wane, isn't it? Well, I've always thought the conventional wisdom was always uh, immediately after Brexit. The kind of liberal establishment wanted to punish Brexiteers by saying this is going You've to lead them. to the breakup of the yeah. UK. I always thought that a, a country that was more confident about its own capacities and future would actually be an attractive thing and it, and it would bind it together. Mm. Now, I guess from a, from a Scottish point of view, mm. the kind of what's in the back of people's minds, I think, mm. is that uh, we're too small to be properly independent. Mm. 
mm. right? We, but we want something called independence. And then if we cede sovereignty, we'd rather cede sovereignty to a very large collection we'll sit of, back of, and of countries, yeah. right? Yeah. Including countries the same side as us, rather than be in, in a union where you know 90, nearly 90% of the population mm. is from one of the other four mm. nationalities, right? So, so I don't think you know that that is you know an entirely ridiculous sort of instinct to feel, and it goes mm. along with a bit of soft, yeah, yeah. but not very pleasant anti-Englishness yeah, uh, as well. See. And so, part of the an antidote to that, I guess, has to be the the biggest population block giving stuff at the margins uh, a little bit, as we do with the Barnet consequentials, the Barnet formula on, on public spending. But again, ultimately, if people don't feel an identity or an affinity with a flag, mm. I don't think you can force them uh, to carry on, you know, in that constitutional arrangement. The, 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 the last referendum in 20. 14 was for a generation, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and unless we're talking about, you know, goats or something, then, then a generation hasn't happened and we're still, you know, you know, 15 or 20 years away from the Scots legitimately being able to have another go because, you know, things we do as the UK with long term perspectives like decide on strategic defence installations yeah. and decide to keep stuff in Scotland, you can't then five years later say, oh, oh, we're pulling the plug and going non-nuclear. So yeah. I don't think that the Scots have a right to break up the UK anytime soon. But I do think a, a generation on, which you could argue is about another 15 years, if there is still a, a critical mass who want another referendum, that then it does become something that has to happen. I could see, yeah, and I agree with you. I think, I don't think, I, I think, I think Brexit itself made uh, Scottish secession less likely because mm. it increases, it, it puts the bar higher and mm. increases the risks massively. And if you think Brexit was difficult, <laughs> mm. I'm afraid that would be much more difficult. But I agree with you. I think the identity thing is the is the clincher, and I'm very worried about that from a unionist point of view because mm. I think the data shows that younger Scots, unless they change their minds, do feel massively more Scots than British. Yeah, and 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 Starmer appears to be going along with Gordon Brown's failed idea that the yeah. way to stop. Uh, independent feeling is to give more independence basically Sorry. which has failed already uh, and I, I would suggest the opposite you have to try and build in more Britishness so you know even to the point of view of, of, of the, the, the national news broadcasters particularly the BBC doing specific mm. Scotland BBC six but they get news, criticized anyway that, that, yeah. yeah but that's undermining yeah. the of feeling of, of, of UK identity and those sort of constant concessions I think they only end one way which is uh, with the separatists winning, I agree, but I think the I think the real the real cause, and I'm not knocking Scottish identity at all. I'm mainly mm. Scots myself, but, he, but you know, plenty of family members that are Scots. But I'm I'm I think the real cause is the anti-British uh, uh, culture within Britain's media and mm. elite establishments, and I think they they hammer anti-Britishness for mm. 30 years and you shouldn't be surprised that people say, well, actually, I'm not British, I'm something else. It's easy, mm. easy to be something else. Mm. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot in that. I mean, it, it's, it's historically um, uh, a little odd considering the uh, involvement that the Scots had in the empire oh, and all the other things they're slagging off. But basically, that's, that's a, a big part of it, I think. Yeah, well, with, with Labour and Gordon Brown in particular, you'll notice if you followed his career on this issue that he's all for, you know, a Scots 
autonomy and identity and a, and a Welsh oh, one. But when it comes to England, oh, no. he just splits it into regions. Of course. Even when there's only very weak regional identities, like I'm from, quote, the east of England, from mm. Cambridge, and yet, you know, are people in the east of England wanting some unified block between people in Cambridge, people in Great Yarmouth, people in Chelmsford? It's just not well, no, and part it doesn't, of, of no, the, 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 the identity. Counties, maybe, but counties, then it's yes. nation. Counties, yes, then it goes to the nation. But you're quite right, the Englishness is forbidden. It's, it's mm. a, a forbidden thing. Um, finally, is there anything that you think on the Brexit side, if you take yourself back to, because you had such a big part in mm. it, the Express and the, the campaign, mm. and then you became a, a, an MEP, is there anything that you think in 2016, when the, when the referendum was happening and things, when it happened, is there anything that you think we underestimated? I mean, there's plenty of things that we did, but what's the most important thing? I, I think I, and quite a lot of people, did underestimate uh, the capacity and the, the appetite of the EU to punish the UK for the sake of discouraging uh, the others. I remember uh, inviting mm. Tony Parsons, the mm. sort of cultural and, and mm. newspaper columnist, to an event uh, and he sort of flagged up this idea of, of people saying the EU will do anything to punish us, but why would they? Why would they cut off their nose despite mm. their face? Well, well, they, well, they did. They did. Right, they, they, they did. Um, uh, and I, I didn't anticipate quite how obdurate they would be, but then neither did I anticipate we'd have a government negotiating side that gave them everything they wanted straight up and then suddenly wanted to talk about yeah. with zero leverage. That's a very interesting uh, observation. The, the thing I think we underestimated together uh, in the Brexit coalition was we massively underestimated the hostility there is among the civil servants and the elite mm. to the idea of self-governance itself. Mm. They were and still are very hostile mm. to that actual idea. They mm. really, really don't like it. I remember um, Auburn War in his column used to joke that uh, really we ought to get rid of democracy and just have a, um, I think he called it a, a committee of randomly selected Belgian ticket inspectors <laughs> to decide what goes on. And actually mm. he was, he was that satire was joking, but, the, but of course I underestimated that. I think we thought, yeah, if we, if we vote for it, uh, then self-governance is a thing. No, they don't want it. I think that's right. They want they want most of the major political questions settled by binding international, preferably global obligations. And you're seeing that now with the the human rights agenda around illegal immigration. Uh, and uh, you know there could be the mother of all battles if, if Rishi Sunak, you know, really feels this is the only card I've got to play for a Conservative re-election and sticks, you know, withdrawal for, from the ECHR in their manifesto and pushes through with hardline legislation, you're going to get the, the mother of all cultural, political battles. And it is centred on this idea that it's not respectable for the United Kingdom to run the major political questions according to, it, you know, its, its own polity. I, I'm, I'm afraid I, I wish I was more optimistic. There's nothing in Sunak's language that would indicate he actually is going to solve this problem on the, on, on the migrant crossings at all. I see nothing, no hint of it. So, Well, all, all I would say on that is, um, yeah, the, the Tories, they don't want to do it, but they didn't want to do Brexit, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if it's the only way they can see to a possible path to staying in power, then they will go a long way 
away from what they actually would want to do. Well, let's finish on an optimistic note. I think we're agreed then that the, a lot of these things will be resolved because they have to be resolved. And in the real mm. world, that's what will determine what happens. I think the, the, the global migration picture mm. is completely unsustainable. Mm. So one way or another, mm. could take 15 years, mm. the United Kingdom will mm. not be able to sustain its mm. international obligations mm. as regards people who just you know, pitch up having mm. chucked their passport in the English Channel. Let's hope it gets sorted. Thank you very much. Thank Good you. To chat. Pleasure, Patrick. Cheers. Thank you.